Ulterior. Hey, what's up? I was sort of gone for a week. And I say sort of because while there was no regular weekly episode last week, there was still an episode because I set aside the time to talk about Amo by Bring Me the Horizon because last week was the four-year anniversary of that album's release and as some of you guys already knew then maybe as some of you or more of you know now, Amo is the most important piece of art that has ever entered my life and I just really wanted to make the time to express that again. Considering that last year on the anniversary, I did a retrospective review, did I really need to do this last week? No, but I wanted to, and, you know, it means so much to me that I really don't give a shit about, like, being redundant with my adoration and praise for it. I'm pretty sure there's some hip-hop podcast out there that does the same thing for Illmatic by Nas, so whatever, man, it'd be what it'd be. But sort of being gone for a week does mean that I now have to play catch up with all of the material that I've missed out on. So this episode will technically cover more material than I ever have before on a single episode, although it is going to be condensed for the sake of time. And I do apologize for that, but I don't have all the time in the world to spend recording, so I need to get through what I can and hopefully you guys understand. So, this episode we'll look at brand new singles from the likes of Fallout Boy, Sleep Token, Jutes, maybe Someday, and a few others I want to get through from the last two weeks, and then brand new records from Underneath, Designer Disguise, and No Business. Thank you for listening, thank you for tapping in, and please enjoy this episode. Before I go into the reviews for the week, or the last two weeks rather, there are like a small number of news topics that I do want to get through, some pertaining to music, some not, but uh, the one that is not, I feel like, is at least an important discussion to be opened up on the internet. Um, so as far as music goes, sometime last week, I think it was early in the week or maybe the middle, I don't remember exactly. But Brendan Urie took to social media to announce that Panic at the Disco is no more. Um, the act will be going away. It's deactivated, defunct, whatever you want to say. Panic at the Disco is no longer an active act in music. And uh, upon hearing that, I initially didn't really feel much of anything. And I blame that on the cycles for Pray for the Wicked and Viva Lost Vengeance doing just absolutely nothing for me. And in that sense, I kind of felt like maybe Panic just ended on as like sour of a note as possible. And then the more that time passed and the more that I really thought about it, I had to just like kind of sit down and realize like the band that put forth uh, Fever You Can't Sweat Out New Perspective, Vices and Virtues, A Tour to Live, Death of a Bachelor, like, that, that's done now. 
that band is no more. And that's actually pretty sad because they were like a staple and a pillar for myself in my upbringing in the scene. I remember being like 11 or 12 and hearing I Write Sins on the radio and just kind of wondering like, what is this? Who is this? And then doing the research and finding Time to Dance and Camisado and just kind of being engulfed in the presence of Panic at the Disco and having this really like big band for myself back then that I was able to attach my adoration for music to and say, they are doing something that I have never heard before. And still to this day, I don't believe I've heard anything that has the cadence and the execution of fever. The trajectory of the band from then on, you know, through pretty odd and whatever, I can make an entire episode about the ups and downs with panic. And maybe I will one day, but as it stands right now, I am just choosing to take this opportunity to say that Panic at the Disco ultimately will be missed, and it really is a shame that they are leaving at a time where so many of their contemporaries are making comebacks and putting out new material and like making uh, some kind of a mark on this generation of music fans moving forward in the scene, and Panic might kind of just be left behind, and again, that really does suck, it really is sad, and I will cherish every good memory that I have associated with Panic! at the Disco. Um, There was some stuff I saw on Twitter. I didn't really look further into this, so I don't know what happened, but something about Bad Omens and their performance at Shiprocked and like what fans may or may not have done, and I don't know anything about that, to be honest, guys. Uh, Bad Omens fans be crazy, I guess. It is what it is. Bad Omens is one of the best bands in the world right now, so let their fans cook. And then as for the topic I mentioned that is not music-related, but I still wanted to bring up just momentarily, and I really don't want to spend too much time on this, but I saw so much about this on Twitter, bad takes and all, and I just kind of had this urge to just say something about it, because I feel like there may not be enough male voices right now speaking up about it. And not that I make any kind of a difference, but just let me let me waffle and ramble for a second. Um, The Atrioc shit. So if you guys do not know what I'm talking about, um, just go to Twitter or Google and search the name Atrioc and you'll see what happened. I don't want to relay over this microphone what he did or anything like that but what i will say is that the amount of people who i have seen kind of dismiss what he did and just you know say like oh they weren't like real images or videos you don't understand like what that kind of a shit does to someone and especially women who are subject to this kind of sexualization that they did not consent to. And if you need like a visual for what this can do to somebody, look at the video of QT Cinderella expressing her thoughts about not only what he did or and the you know the creators that he directly affected, but then also herself because she 
too is part of this, you know, a deeper exploitation. And it's just a real fucking shame that this kind of material and behavior is now platformed because of what Atrioc did. It's fucking gross. It has no place in society. I wish this was not a thing. That sort of technology, like, why does it exist? Like, what good actually comes from it other than somebody being able to, you know, satisfy this really fucking sick desire, as we've seen from Atrioc and then anybody else that browses that kind of shit? So, yeah, I'm just going to leave that there. I don't want to go on about it too much longer, but just... Please understand what consent means, and if you happen to be somebody who has explored that kind of stuff before, or you don't understand what it is about Atriox's actions that are so bad, just fucking educate yourself, dude. I really don't know what else to say. And yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and now move into the reviews of the singles for the last two weeks. What I always do with these reviews is I take all of the singles from Scenic Overlook and talk about them. I'm not going to be able to do that on this episode because if I did, I would be talking about 16 singles and I really, really do not have that time. So it will be condensed, but I will make sure to mention what was in Scenic Overlook and what wasn't. I'm going to start off with a band that made their comeback last week in a Really, 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 really big fucking way. Not last week, two weeks ago. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. But regardless, Fall Out Boy is back. They've got two new singles to their name. Love from the other side and Heartbreak feels so good. Love from the Other Side was the number one ranked song in Cinder Overlook last week, so it does have a spot in the Top 100 series come December. To be able to say that a Fall Out Boy song in 2023 is going to be deemed one of my favorites of the year, that means a lot to me. Like, the way that I just waffled about Panic at the Disco and, like, what they meant to me in my upbringing, Fall Out Boy meant even more, and they have been able to, at the very least, like continuously remain on my mind, even if something like Mania or American Beauty, American Psycho did r- really nothing to further my adoration for them. If anything, it kind of deteriorated some of that love. But with these two singles and some other news relating to touring for Fall Out Boy, my attachment to this band has not only been resurrected, it feels like it might be stronger than ever. Like, for real, for real, no cap. There was some interview somewhere, uh, it might have been Patrick who said this, or Pete, I don't remember exactly, but the new album by Fall Out Boy, So Much for Stardust, out March 24th, I believe it is, the idea behind its sound and direction is in the lines of, like, what would have happened if they didn't take a break after Fully Ado and they put out an album that, you know, was the 
logical follow-up to that. And that's what you're going to get with so much for Stardust. Hearing Love from the Other Side and Heartbreak Feel So Good, that is exactly how I would describe these two singles. Love from the Other Side, the build-up to it, the way that it's kind of structured in a way that is very patented to an older Fallout Boy style. The explosiveness of the chorus and how fucking catchy it is. Everything about this song in particular just really relates to every reason that I fell in love with this band in the first place as a child. And then Heartbreak Feels So Good, it's not as captivating in my opinion right now as Love From The Other Side, but it still has those intangible elements that I associate with Fallout Boy, and I am so fucking happy that it is seemingly back in their material. They are one of the most important bands in the world. They are one of the biggest acts that has ever been put forth into my life. There are so many things about myself right now that I don't think would have been the case had it not been for Fallout Boy, and I am just beyond thrilled that I have reasons now in this day and age to refuse to shut the fuck up about them. And on top of that, guess what? They not only announced a tour, you know who is supporting them on this fucking tour? Bring me the horizon. Fallout Boy and Bring Me the Horizon are fucking touring, guys. That's crazy. Um, at, at this point in the recording process, the the dates and venues and all that shit have already been announced. Um, I gotta go to the Woodlands for this show. What the fuck is the Woodlands? I straight up never heard of that shit before today. But I get to go see them. And... I think Roland Serpent and somebody else, I can't remember who, is on that date. So, yeah, if I can pull that off, that's going to be generational, for real, for real. What I'm actually going to do now is, because I talked about the two singles by Fall Out Boy, I'm going to spotlight right now another band that had two singles in this lineup for this episode, Sleep Token. And they have the songs... Aqua Regia and Granite. One month into the year, and I am already of the belief that the most improved band of the year is Sleep Token. I remember getting on here recently and talking about the summoning and chokehold and how they really kind of started to like turn me around on Sleep Token. Not that I dislike Sleep Token, but when it came to the space to become your tomb and sundowning, I just didn't believe that the material there was strong enough to warrant some kind of a connection between myself and Sleep Token. But now, moving forward with these new singles for 2023, they found something that is so unique to themselves and something that is able to pull me in to a greater effect than anything else prior. 
you know, I really like Alkaline and Bloodsport, but I don't know how to even, you know, position those songs against what Sleep Token is doing right now. Aquaresia in particular has this just really cool effect to it and the way that it's laid out and it builds itself up in this very like slow and almost brooding but at the same time cathartic manner and how the piano elements brought in are just like really sprinkled throughout in this almost like a muted kind of a way but it's still at the forefront of what is happening here, and it's still so apparent how much something like that is able to tie all of the elements of Akaresia together. It's enchanting, it's beautiful, it is everything that Sleep Token stands for right now. I also really fucking adore Granite because I feel like that song has this almost brooding nature to it while still embracing pop elements, and it becomes cathartic for the entire experience. In Granite, Vessel kind of scales his tone back while the instrumentation wraps itself around his voice, and the song has life breathed into it in this manner that allows the heavier sections to flourish in ways that I don't really believe they were able to on Sleep Token's prior material. I keep reiterating myself, guys, but I really fucking mean it. Sleep Token is that band right now, and for me to be able to say that after being kind of a detractor of them in some way for a long time... I don't want to say like, oh, I was wrong about them because I don't feel like I've turned around on their older material, but for these four singles and then whatever they're going to be doing moving forward this year, they are them. They are Hoopers. Vessel is him. I mentioned earlier that Love from the Other Side was the number one ranked song for Cindy Overlook last week. The number one ranked song this week is actually by Jute and it is called Fingers. There have been times before on this show where I have said that I believe Jutes is one of the most consistent artists in the scene, and with that consistency, I don't just mean in terms of the quality of the material, but also the quantity. There was a time back in early 2021 where it felt like Jutes was releasing a new single every week. Like I feel like he really, really was, and the just the ability for that guy to have that much material to his name and not once that I believe he ever faulted at any point, that is a testament to an act that has all of the potential to go as far as he wants to take himself. At the same time, I have probably disrespected him in some ways by not talking about Hot Trash as like a top EP last year or Shania Twain as a top single for 2021. You know, I've had moments before where I could have, but for whatever reason, I didn't. This time though, with Fingers, I don't really have a choice because what Jutes did was drop what I believe might actually be my favorite song he's ever done. Fingers differentiates somewhat from his material that has, like, delved into hip-hop and then even pop-punk, because Fingers has this grunge element to it that is able to make every element of it, especially the chorus, stand out amongst everything else he's done before in his discography. Fingers 
is so catchy and vibrant, and it has every bit of that patented Jutes style that has been able to make him the consistent act that I've been raving about for the last minute or so. Fingers really, really might be that song for him, and I would hope that everybody who has either heard of Jutes before or has not is able to experience Fingers and attain the astonishment that I feel towards it for themselves. There are some details available about the next Can't Swim album. I'll get to that shortly. Right now, I'm going to play a bit from the brand new single of theirs. It is called Me Vs. Me Vs. All of Y'all. The album is titled Thanks But No Thanks, and it is set to be released on March 3rd. I know that I've not given Can't Swim their flowers, and their deserved flowers at that, because even if I have nothing but good things to say about them whenever their material is mentioned, where are their accolades? Where are their placements in all of the year-end shit that I do? I, I, I don't know. I, I don't have a good answer, and... That is entirely my fault. But I would really like to believe that I am about to correct the course now because I think Me Versus Me Versus All of Y'all is a tremendous fucking song. The verses have this, like, kind of an upbeat, bouncy rhythm that I wouldn't normally associate with Can't Swim, but I think they executed it flawlessly and it only adds to the, like, enchanting chorus on this track and. It's a section that highlights all of the strengths of Can't Swim's presence, and I would hope that by this point, everybody who has come across them is familiar with what it is that makes them such a standout band, such a unique band, and a band that is still somehow underrated after all this time and after all of these bangers to their name. I want this to be the turnaround point for Can't Swim where that term underrated and underappreciated and all of those sorts of, um, you know, synonyms can no longer be applied. I want this band to have their flowers, and I'm going to do my part to make sure that happens. There is a brand new Paris single out right now. It is called Goddess. There is a lot going on for Paris at the moment. Currently, they're on tour overseas with Maggie Linneman and Charlotte Sands. They are getting ready to release their fourth studio album at some point this year, and considering what the rollout has been like for it thus far, I do not have any reason to doubt the likelihood that they're going to deliver for the fourth time in a row. Goddess has a lot of vibrancy to it between the instrumentation and Lynn's ability to convey charisma and believability in both lyricism and tone like she sounds like she is on top of the world when she's singing lines like so divine and entertaining i'm on fire and you can't tame me there is so much attitude and energy in a way that i don't believe we have fully heard on a paris album yet but considering what has been happening when you go all the way back to um the single from 2021 uh, my way i don't know why i struggle to remember that Considering where the band has gone from there up until now with Goddess, there is a flair to their 
execution right now that is so different from where they were at on Use Me and All We Know of Heaven and White Noise. And you know what? I'm fucking here for it. This is going to rule. I, I really, really do believe that. There was a new single out by Maybe Someday featuring Kellen Quinn from Sigma Sirens. It is called Zombie. The reach for Maybe Someday is not great right now. There really, I don't think, are that many people who know about this band. And a, a reason for that might be because the specific style of metalcore slash post-hardcore that is being explored here comes from the late 2000s, and it almost borderlines crabcore. And maybe the audiences aren't really there for this, but you know who is there? Me. I fuck with Maybe Someday heavily. I have not been let down by anything they've done yet, and Zombie is no different. Every twist and turn in this song, electronically and just rhythmically, uh, the way that Maybe Someday can kind of morph these choruses to fit exactly what, you know, 13, 14-year-old me would have been clinging on to, this song represents so much of my adoration for my upbringing in the scene, and then having a voice like Helen, a, a generational voice at that, a pillar figure, be here on this song and deliver screams that sound like they were pulled out of with ears to see and eyes to hear. This song was fucking special. I love it. I can't get enough of it. And if anything that I've been waffling about sounds like something you might be into, go check out Zombie. It's fucking amazing. The final single that I will be going in detail on comes from Young Rising Suns. It is called La La Lonely. I found this band about two years ago at this point, off of a song called Sunday Sunshine, and to just to keep it a stack with all of y'all, I don't even know if they're seen by definition, but to me, they are a band that has managed to be consistently enthralling to the point where my attention has been on them this whole time. And now, because of La La Lonely, I feel like I have the biggest reason that I've ever had to sing their praises on this show. This song is indie pop done to pure fucking perfection. The chorus here feels like some kind of a cheat code because of how simple a hook like La La Lonely is, yet they made it meaningful and delivered every rhythm and note like a band that knows exactly how to engage with their listeners and make sure that a song like this did not leave their heads. It is catchy as fuck. It has this great range of emotion to it. La La Lonely is an amazing song and one that I genuinely cannot suggest enough to all of y'all. These were the remaining singles from Scenic Overlook the last two weeks that I did not go in detail on, but I want to at least acknowledge and shout out. Dress by Soft Cult, Faces by Estrell, Sonic Bloom by Locket, Silent Running by Gorillaz featuring Adele Amatayo, Designer Antichrist by Coliseums, All Right by Charlotte Sands, and Emanate by Alt. These were the rest of the week three singles that I gave either a 4 or a 5-2 in their reviews on social media. Up Against It by Black Honey, Lost One Out by For the Falling Dreams, More Power More Pain by Gideon, Earthen by Of Sulfur, Parasocial by Termina featuring Phil Bozeman and Joshua Travis, Cut Off the Head by To the Grave, 
and Deadlies by Young Pinch. These were the singles from week 4 that I gave either a 4 or a 5 to in the reviews on social media. Knee Deep by Angel Maker, which is a job for a cowboy cover. Divine Intervention by Awake at Last. Black Crown by Classic Jack. The World Without Us by Enterprise Earth. Instinct by Everghost. Hollywood Suicide by Ghost Kid. Everybody Knows It by Half-Lives. War by Lado. Wake Me Up by Living Scars. Angel Dust by Savage Hands. Borrow Time by Straight Shot Home. The Wretched the Ruinous by Unearth. Real Super Dark by Waterparks. And Can't Keep Up by Young Pinch. There are a few songs that I gave a 3 out of 5 to, so they weren't necessarily bad songs from the last two weeks, but they just kind of had their own issues that I thought prevented them from really cooking. Collapse or Breakdown of Sanity, it's just like really vocally flatlining, and I feel like the vocals really do a lot to hinder that song's delivery. War by Story of the Year, to me, it's just kind of like very tame and not all that exciting, especially in comparison to some of the recent other singles by Story of the Year like Real Life. What If I Fall by Archetypes Collide, it's a cliche sounding chorus that isn't bad necessarily, but it doesn't do anything to stand out in a good way. Drowning by Atreyu, slightly better than a lot of what was happening on Baptized, but it still sounds to me like this form of Atreyu is just a shell of what they used to be. Like, they're not even as good nowadays as they were on In Our Wake, and that record isn't even good. Backfire by August Burns Red. This is just a personal thing. I just don't like August Burns Red. I think their style of metalcore is very generic and boring, and Backfire just kind of plays into all the tropes of theirs. By all means, instrumentally, it's fine, but then just it doesn't do anything to really engage me or keep me interested in it. Hate Myself by Escape the Fate. Not bad from an instrumental standpoint, but lyrically, it is a smack dash, and there's nothing about the song's lyricism or meaning or whatever that I can connect to or, or feel like is valuable to my life in any way. Lightbringer by Monashi, I think that's how you say their name. The vocal effects in the chorus really turn me away from what is otherwise a solid song. And then Vile Minds by Set for Tomorrow. To me, this sounded like a weirdly mixed attempt at a volumes or issue style bounce, and it just really left a lot to be desired. And now my old tired ass will proceed to get into the three records from the last two weeks that are left for me to review. The first one, I'm going to start off with what was actually my favorite of these releases, and that is the brand new EP by Underneath called Nothing Here Is Held Sacred. Something that I try to do with every band who I review a record for, but I might be unfamiliar with their overall work, is do my research on them. Not to make it sound like I knew who they were the whole time, but just so that I have a grasp of what their core sound is before delving into whatever their newest release entails. But for Underneath, this EP is the only reference point I have for them because it is legitimately their debut EP. And for a first experience with Underneath, I truly believe that this is excellent work on their end. There was not 
a dull moment at any point. And for a release that is metallic hardcore that never lets up in its unrelenting nature for any of its 22 minute runtime, I think that is a remarkable accomplishment for a band that is just starting and attempting to find their footing in the scene. The EP opens with Caesarean Section, which acts as like this short intro to kind of give listeners somewhat of an idea as to what Nothing Here Is Hailed Sacred delivers. But even then, uh, the way that the title track immediately rocks your shit once it commences after Caesarean Section painted the picture that is as disfigured and grotesque as the EP's artwork. I think hardcore is one of the like trickiest genres for bands to navigate, especially when they're in their infancy stage, because of how easy it is for songs to fall into the same tropes and come across as copies of one another. I never once had that feeling with any bit of Nothing Here Is Held Sacred. Each song has something to distinguish itself from one another, whether that be the blast beats in Those That Cheweth Not The Cud or the manipulation of the audio levels in Eating Bugs. Underneath did what I believe is a sensational job at making sure their songs have character that extend beyond just, you know, oh, lol, hardcore goes brr. And then the EP is closed out by They Will Kill You When They Get to Chance, which uses the brutal nature of Underneath's style to give listeners something that is almost uncomfortable at times to listen to because of how eerie and brooding it can make hardcore sound. And for a genre that, you know, sometimes can already have that, like, unnerving feeling to it, there is something very, like, spine-chilling about how Underneath is able to take these sounds and just make them, like, the soundtrack to a horror movie in some ways. What Underneath did on this EP was just kind of make it known who they are and make it known in a way where they cannot be ignored. I really believe that if you give this EP a chance, you're not going to be able to forget it. This is going to stick with me for a really long time. I know that for sure. It's the kind of record last few weeks where if I have like some, you know, downtime, I don't really know what to do, know what to listen to. I can put this on and it's just so like ironically soothing because there's nothing really soothing about the way it sounds but the way that it's able to just kind of ease my brain and ease my mood at any given time underneath just fucking excelled in everything that they attempted with this record and not just attempted but succeeded with at that matter there is a new album out by designer disguise it is called elsewhere At least I hope it's called Elsewhere. E-L-S-W-A-E-R. Elsewhere? 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 I don't fucking know, man. Um, okay, so getting into what this album actually sounds like, because that's what you all want to fucking know about. Um, I actually never got to talk about this on the show because I was not yet doing weekly episodes back at this point in time. But I did have the last EP by Desire and Disguise saved to the first ulterior playlist in 2021. It was called No One's Alright, and I thought it was a really, really, really solid way for me to be introduced to Desire and Disguise through some really catchy moments on songs like Out of My Face and the title track. And maybe this had to do with having heard that EP again prior to listening to Elsewhere, but it just kind of felt to me like something that worked on that EP was either forgotten about or disregarded when crafting elsewhere. The songs are fine, 
like, like there's not much here that I thought was like outright bad or boring. But when hearing Destroyer, which is technically the opener if you don't count the intro, Corrupted Cyborg, it sounds like there is more exploration of Metalcore done by Desire Guys here compared to on No One's Alright. And for myself, I, I think that works to the detriment of this album's effectiveness. The song that comes on afterwards, Abandoned Ship, provided this glimpse into a style for Desire Disguise that still departs from where they were before, but as far as their metalcore endeavors go, I think this is the best spot for them. Like, on this song alone, they can still sound heavy while providing a catchy chorus that can play to their strengths, and I think the same thing happened with Digital Ghosts, although I think the instrumentation on that song plays a big fucking role in making it one of the best on the album. But, in my opinion... Infinite is the biggest highlight on Elsewhere, and I don't really know if that's a good thing or not because it is the most different track here. It's very slow and has a piano ballad feel to it, and that is where Desire Disguise really hooved on this record, and I really cannot say enough good things about Infinite. I think this track is beautiful and enchanting, and I genuinely cannot get enough of it, and that is something that I can't say about much else that is happening here. Like, especially on a song like Risen, where I feel like they're just trying to be heavy for the sake of it, and there's not much substance there, there's not really any merit to what is happening on Risen, it's just like a a real whatever metalcore song, and I feel like I get to hear so many of those nowadays, and I don't need it on an album like this from a band who I know have that dog in them, and it just wasn't there for the entire run. And then, all the other songs on here, like In the Hollow, Stardust, um, Lifeline, I understand what is happening, and I feel like they kind of missed the mark, but not by like a mile or any of that sort of metric system. The ideas are there, the execution is not, but as long as there is promise and potential being shown, I feel like Desire Disguise can kind of just take whatever they're doing back to the lab and refine this style to really fit where they hopefully see themselves as being. I am not at all going to write off Desire Disguise off of this one album because, again, I don't think it's actually bad. It's just in comparison to No One's Alright, it definitely, like, fell flat in terms of meeting my expectations. But if they can take what they're doing here and, again, just kind of refine it and make it more to their own style rather than sounding like they're trying to be, you know, other metalcore bands, this can work. I really, really do believe that. And now for the final record of this episode, we have the brand new album by No Business, and it is called Snitch. Alright, so similarly to what I had said earlier about Underneath and their EP... This is the debut release from No Business, so I don't have many reference points for comparisons to draw to No Business beforehand, but what I will say is that the thing that initially drew me into the idea of reviewing this album was the artwork for it, because it is so abstract and weird, and I don't fully understand what's happening in it. Like, I guess just to kind of like paint the image to you guys listening right now, on the artwork, there's like a couple walking on grass but the sky behind them is like made up of newspaper clippings and there's a hole in the center of that collage that reveals the moon. Honestly, I don't fucking know what's happening in it, but whoever designed this artwork was fucking cooking for real, for real. Um, 
getting into the album itself, the almost cinematic style intro that is While You Were Out is incredibly daunting and gives this record the feeling as if it's from some kind of an established act. This isn't generally normal behavior for a band that is just getting started, but it works perfectly in unison with Tattletale and the hardcore tones here that can change themselves at the press of a button seemingly because Tattletale starts off energetically and then by the end of it, the song sounds like it's disintegrating and it's this experience where I'm able to get through that song and I kind of just have to take a minute and pause the record and just be like, what the fuck was that? Because whatever it was, it was genuinely exciting as all hell. I think those kinds of moments where no business can scale things back in quiet, whatever is happening, creates these really special occurrences that allow listeners just a small bit of a break to take in what they're hearing. Um, you know, it, it happens on songs like Chains and Fall, and I, I feel like it is a perfect element to the style of no business. But that heavy style is drifted away from on two songs, Slow Dance and Cinderblock. Slow Dance has no screaming in it. It is the slowest song on the album. It incorporates these beautiful piano and guitar elements that give way for it to stand out while letting me know just how many versatile layers there are to no business. Cinderblock picks up the pacing a bit and it's able to give no business a chance to have something that is like almost a little bit more straightforward rock type shit in its nature. I kind of somewhat liken what's happening here to what the core sound was on Earth is a Black Hole by Teenage Wrist. It has a similar vibrancy and for a band that up to the point of slow dance was just beating the shit out of me with hardcore, I thought this was flawlessly done and Cinderblock is probably my favorite song on the album. By the time the album concludes, Basilisk is able to bring things back full circle in terms of getting to the hardcore elements of No Business, and it caps everything off in this really, like, kind of a poetic and apropos manner, because the journey here on No Business, even if it is a short album, it is something that was able to, like, really stick with me the last few weeks, and something that I was really excited to get on the show and tell you guys about, because I feel like anybody who has a chance to hear No Business, you're going to get something that is memorable and remarkable, and you have to be able to take something from it like you know even if it's tattletale that you're really into because you like the hardcore shit or center block because of what i mentioned earlier about like the, the rock type stuff or slow dance and how that song is just like so enchanting and charming in so many ways no business had one shot to really show everything that they can do and they fucking exceeded any expectations that somebody could have had for them and that's it those were all of the albums and EPs and singles from the last two weeks for me to go over. And I I don't know like what's going to be happening in the future when it comes to the possibility of having to do episodes like this where I let shit stack for two weeks. I really would prefer not to. I, I enjoy getting to do this show weekly. But, you know, sometimes there are instances, whether it be because of time or just how I feel mentally, emotionally, where an, a weekly episode is not going to happen. So... If this does turn out to be some kind of a formality moving forward, not all the time, but just once in a while, I do apologize for that. But please understand, I really, really, really am trying my best, guys. Like, for real, for real. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And, as always, for the love of the game, let's make a scene. Let's make a scene.